Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. I was a third year in college. I've been on a couple of dates with this young lady. And then she told me that we weren't going to date anymore. She wasn't ready for a relationship. The only problem was I'd already signed up for a spring break trip exclusively because she was going. We were going to Charlotte, North Carolina on a Habitat for Humanity trip. She was the president of Habitat for Humanity. I didn't know what Habitat for Humanity was till I met her, but I was immediately interested. And so we had an awkward moment. In a week, we're going to spend a week together, but it's over. Well, the day before we left, I got a phone call when I was at work. It was her. And she said, I just found out that there is another spot available on the trip going to Jackson, Mississippi, and I wondered if you would want to go. (laughs) I was like, whoa. So I was a little disturbed by the call. She didn't want me to cramp her and her roommate's style. And so I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. You decide. Ball in your court. (laughs) Well, she didn't have the heart to send me to Mississippi, so I went to Charlotte. And you can imagine what it was like the day we got into that 15-passenger van. But on that trip, there's good news. I began to wear on her. We were roofing a house and I was roofing with her roommate and I started busting out my rap skills, which were quite impressive. (laughs) By the way, a way to a woman's heart is always through a roommate. You need to know that. (laughs) So that was the start. The ladies are like, he's so right. (laughs) And then... On a Wednesday night, we played some pickup basketball, and that's when the three-point anointing came on me. And I started draining three-pointers like I do it all the time. Just poof, poof. I don't know, after six or seven, it was comical. After we won the game, I walked off the court, sat in a chair beside her, and she said, I'm so glad you came on this trip. <laughs> I said, me too. (laughs) We got back, we started dating. The rest is history. 25 years later, she's my wife. So I'm talking about. (laughs) That decision to let me go to Charlotte changed both of our lives. Why do I share that story? Because 
we were at a crossroads. And see, a crossroads is one of those moments, one of those times in your life where the decisions you make are so consequential for the trajectory of your life. And even the small, seemingly small, inconsequential decisions can take you on a trajectory that can change your life. You are at a crossroads. You are at a season of your life, whether you're a first year, a second year, a third year, or a fourth year, that this season of your life will set the trajectory for the rest of your life. And the smallest decisions you make can have huge ramifications in your life. So welcome to the crossroads. And some of you are going to stand about 20 years later, look back and say, wow, that was a crossroads season in my life. And you're going to say, man, with a lot of gratitude, how did I end up here like Declan, right? And then others will stand at the crossroads with a bit of regret And you'll say something like, how did I end up here? I never anticipated this. Well, tonight we're going to look at a story of some young people who are at a crossroads. They were a lot uh, like you in the sense of your season of life. And they had a major decision to make that would set the trajectory of their life. And so we're going to look at that tonight. First of all, let me introduce you to my family, my wife of 25 years who almost sent me to Mississippi. That's Amy. Um, And so that's us on our uh, celebrating 25 years of marriage. And then my kids, uh, the one in the middle is a first year JMU. And so go Dukes. Uh, He's uh, excited about that. You're like, oh, not in two weeks though. Not in two weeks. No, no. Yeah, in two weeks we're going to be going, go who's, right? Right. When they come to town. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to, yeah, anyways, um, and then my other two kids, uh, on the eighth grader, my daughter, Nevaeh, I don't know what that's on your right, uh, she says hi, by the way, as I, she's like, tell everyone I said hi, so there, you, she says hi, she's in eighth grade, and she loves animals, and then my son, Jeremiah, who's in seventh grade, and he loves Legos and sports, so he has his first baseball practice tomorrow for fall ball. Um, so anyways, that is my family. So what we are going to do tonight is we are going to look at these young men who are going to be at a crossroads of their life and see how they navigated the crossroads that will literally change their life. This semester, we are in a series, we're going to be doing a series called The Crown and the Cross. It's going to be a series through the Gospel of Mark. And if you are new to the Bible, the Gospel of Mark is a great place to start reading the Bible. It is action-packed, quick-hitting, fast-paced gospel, okay? Um, it is, uh, it's one of those books that just, ra- it's, it just moves so fast. It's like a great action-packed Marvel movie, okay? It just keeps coming at you. And in fact, the word immediately is used 41 times, 41 times in 16 chapters. 10 times in the very first chapter because it is moving so fast. It's just like you're shot out of a cannon right into the middle of the gospel. And so we're going to uh, be looking at, at that. And honestly, this can be a powerful series for you. They say that the gospel of Mark has a tendency to take your breath away both by the pace 
that it goes, but also by the power of what you discover about Jesus as we go. So here's what I would like for you to do. I want you to come with me to the shoreline of Galilee and open up your Bible, if you have one, to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to see these young men in a defining moment. We are going to read verse 1 of chapter 1, and then we're going to read verse 14 through 20. It says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 16, passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Wow. Well, the very first thing we learn in our passage tonight, well, first of all, let me just set out where we're going. I'm going to break up the, my remarks into three, uh, answer three questions because Declan likes to get his questions answered. So number one, who is it that's calling Number two, to what are they called? And then number three, how do you respond to the call? So number one, to who, or I'm sorry, who is it that is calling? The first thing we learn in in verse one is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Okay, so Mark is writing this about 30 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, okay? So it's been about 30 years since Jesus has walked on the face of the earth. And as Mark writes his gospel, he says, this is just the beginning. It's the beginning of the gospel. What you're gonna read is the beginning. For the last 30 years, Jesus has continued to do the same things. He's continued to forgive sin. He's continued to restore lives. He's continued to uh, deliver people from darkness. He's continued to heal the sick. And can I tell you, here's the good news. 2,000 years later, Jesus is still doing the same things. That what we're gonna read, in other words, what we're gonna read isn't just history. Is it history? Yes, it's history. But it's not just history. It's what Jesus continues to do 2,000 years later. It's just the beginning. And then he says this. If we're gonna understand the power of this introduction that we get to Jesus, he uses the word gospel three times And what I read, first thing, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does gospel mean? What did it mean in Mark's day when he wrote it? I'm so glad you asked. In the Roman world, gospel was a word that was uh, carried a lot of weight. Because when gospel was used, it spoke of something that was a history-making, life-shaping news. In other words, it wasn't just something that you would see on your, on your Instagram feed. This was like history-making, life-shaping news. For example, let me give you an example. Um, say that you were in, in a country that was under um, occupation, military occupation, but 
Your two nations went to battle and your nation actually won the war. If your nation won the war and that meant it was the end of military occupation, then these people, these heralds would come and they would... uh, They were called evangelists and they would share the gospel that your nation had won the war and that now you're no longer under uh, oppression from the the foreigners that were, were oppressing you and you are now free. That was gospel, okay? Or if there was the birth of an emperor of the the Roman empire, um, like Caesar Augustus, Here's here's what they found written in 9 BC, See if this sounds familiar. What was written in 9 BC about the birthday of Augustus. The birthday of Augustus was the beginning of the gospel that has come to men through him. In other words, when a king would be born who would promise a a good reign, it was seen as gospel. I mean, Mark comes out throwing haymakers on Rome, right? He's like, no, the birth of Jesus is the beginning of the gospel. Okay, so what gospel meant was this. It was history-making, life-shaping news that it was about a king coming to power or freedom that had been won. And they're like, yeah, that's the word that understands who Jesus is. And then in the Jewish mindset, the word gospel had a little bit different connotation. In the Old Testament, there was a version of the Old Testament in Jesus' day called the Septuagint that had been translated from Hebrew into Greek. And so the Jewish people, when they heard the word gospel, their mind would go to this prophecy of of, uh, Isaiah 52, uh, verse seven says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring gospel, who proclaim peace, who bring gospel, who proclaim salvation who say to Zion your God reigns in other words that there'd be this day okay here's what you need to understand the Jewish people had lived under tyranny of empire after empire under the Egyptian empire under the Assyrian empire under the Babylonian empire now they're under the Roman empire and so they longed for the day when the earthly empires would be removed and they would live under the reign of God, okay? So that's what they long for. That's what this is looking, looking at. And then Jesus, listen to what Jesus says in verse 15. He says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the reign of God has come in me. I mean, that's a radical claim. This is like his opening press conference, okay? Jesus has his opening press conference as the new king. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 52, seven. I am the one that that the kingdom of God, God will reign through me. And then what does he do? He starts to show that God is reigning through him. How? He does miracles. He casts out demons. He restores broken lives. And not only that, he calms the sea. I mean, these are just pictures of of him giving evidence that that, that God is reigning through me. So who's the one that's doing the calling? He is the king that has been longed for. He's the one whose arrival is history-making, life-shaping news. He's the one that will win a victory that changes everything. That's gospel. And that's the one who calls them at the crossroads. Okay, so what were they being called to? To what were they being called? 
As we see Jesus call these disciples, I want to point out something that is easy to overlook. In fact, I've overlooked it many times, but as I was studying for this tonight, this jumped off the page at me, and I hope it lands in your heart tonight. It says this, that passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. And then it says that as he, as he went on, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Okay, he saw them. Why is that a big deal? Okay, if you are launching your kingdom that is going to be history-making and life-shaping for the entire world, who would you build your kingdom on? Like, who would you get to be the first people to join your kingdom? Would you go to like Jerusalem and find the powerful and influential people? Would you go to the place where you would find the educational elites, like maybe like a rabbinical school, where you'd find the the religious elites and the educational elites? Is that what you would do? Here's what Jesus does. Jesus, he goes on the shoreline of Galilee and sees some fishermen with calloused hands. And when he sees them, he sees something different than everybody else. He's like, I want them to be at the foundation of my kingdom. I want to build my kingdom on people like them. And it's this this moment that, that we start to realize that Jesus sees differently than we do. I mean, these weren't people who had like the great SAT scores. They weren't people who had the great GPAs. They didn't play on an AAU travel team. These were not the elites of anything. These were the people who were just working like tagging along with their dad to to, to apprentice for for the family business. And yet Jesus sees something in them that other people would walk right past them and not see. But he sees something different. He sees something different, not just what other people see. He sees something different than what they see in themselves. And here's what we we get as we read the gospel of Mark. We see Jesus do this over and over again. When he looks at Peter, he doesn't just look at at Peter who who has this tendency to to be impulsive and to have a little foot and mouth disease. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like he would stick his foot in his mouth all the time and saying these impulsive things. Jesus didn't just see that. James and John, who he calls in this passage, you know what he's going to call them later? He's going to call them sons of thunder. Why? Because they had tempers. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just see their temper. Next chapter, he's going to see Matthew. And and he's not just going to see a tax collector with a sinful past. He's going to see something else. And then later, he's going to see a guy who who was full of demons in Mark chapter 5. But he doesn't just see the darkness in this guy. He sees something else. And why do I say that? Because many of you, when you were in high school, were big fish in small ponds. And then you came to UVA. And you start to wonder, do I belong here? You start to wonder if you have what it takes if you measure up and you start to experience the imposter syndrome. And and I want you to know 
that Jesus sees you. He sees you and he's like, I want you in my kingdom. He, he, other people may be walking right past you, but he sees stuff that no one else sees. He sees God's plans and purposes for your life. He sees your value. He sees somebody that God brought here. He sees somebody that, that, that he wants to do great things in and great things through. He sees you. And so what does he invite you into? Well, number one, he invites you into relationship. He invites you into relationship. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to know his love and his grace and his kindness and his goodness and his glory. And these things that can sound just like a bunch of religious language, he wants it not to just be religious language. He wants it to be truth that you experience in your heart as you follow him. He doesn't want you just to live for him. He wants you to live with him. He wants you to have a relationship with him that can transform your life. And so his invitation to you as he sees you is he invites you into relationship. Secondly, is he invites you into transformation. What does it say? It says this, and I will make you become. He, he invites you into this relationship that will transform your life. Um, I have seen God transform many students over my years. Let me tell you one thing that I take great comfort in, that when he uh, invites these disciples into this relationship that will bring transformation, here, here's what I take great comfort in. The disciples fail all the time. Like if you read the gospel of Mark, it's almost hilarious how often they fail. They, at one point, they're rebuking Jesus. Yes, they rebuked Jesus. I, I wouldn't recommend that. They rebuked Jesus, okay? And, and, and then they don't, they don't understand his kingdom and the nature of his kingdom. They're not getting it. And, and then they're, they're supposed to, to be praying and having power to minister like he asked them and they don't have the power. And then another place, they deny him. Another place, he's in like his moment of greatest need and they're falling asleep, literally falling asleep. And then when he's arrested, they all scatter. I mean, they fail him at every turn. And you know what you see in the midst of the disciples' failure? You see the faithfulness of Jesus. You see the patience of Jesus. And that, I, I just take great hope in that. You wanna know why? Because a lot of times our transformation is like two steps forward and one step back and it's not totally linear and yet we're met with the patience and kindness of Jesus along the way. Isn't that good news? And yet at what we see as we continue reading the Bible is that what Jesus saw in them does come to pass and they do get it and their lives are transformed and God uses them to impact the world. And so they were ultimately transformed. As I mentioned before, I've seen God transform many students. Let me tell you a quick story. This is, go ahead and put a picture up. This is a picture of a alum of ours. Her name is Kara. And we met Kara on move in, well, uh, outside of her dorm doing s'mores. I don't know, maybe we met some of you doing s'mores. And Kara came from an atheist background. Her parents were both atheists. 
And she found herself becoming friends with these Chi Alpha people. And this young lady by the name of Amy offered to study the Bible with her. So they started studying the Bible together. And as they studied the Bible together, she she started following Jesus. She started to discover who Jesus was. and, and And it started to transform her life as she entered into his kingdom and started following him. And one one night after Chi Alpha, she called her her boyfriend who was at home. And as she was talking, her boyfriend's like, whoa, Kara, you have changed so much. And it was like one of those moments where she realized, he's right. And she's like, yeah, I I have. Because Jesus was was taking her life that had been broken by sin and and started to transform her and, and put her back together to who God always intended her to be. About a year and a half, two years ago, I was made aware of um, this art, Japanese art called um, Kintsugi. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kintsugi art. We got a picture of it. And what happens is, if, if say you have a bowl that's like a family heirloom and you go, oh no, dropped it on the tile, you know, and breaks. And what you do is you pick up all the pieces you could. And people who do kintsugi art, what they do is they take those broken pieces and, and because there's like little shards that they can't ever get back together, what they do is they fill in the cracks with gold and silver. And what, they, and, and what happens is as they fill in the cracks with gold and silver, it takes on a new beauty that it would have never had before. And then they put a glaze over it. And do you know that a kintsugi... Uh, bowl is actually more than the original if you go to buy because it has gold in it right and here's the point that's what Jesus does he takes like the brokenness of our lives and when we come to him and the brokenness of our lives he's like I can work with that and he starts to fill in the cracks with his grace and with the spirit's power and begin to fill it in and as he does it's those cracks that start to shine his glory and as his glory shines through it we become something we would never have been without him and that's what Jesus invites you into. Into transformation. And then finally, he invites you in to purpose. He invites you into purpose. The purpose that Jesus had for these fishermen was far greater than they could have ever imagined. And I don't, know all of you yet but I can go on a limb and say this that he has plans and purposes for you that you may not even imagined because the Bible says this in Ephesians 2 10 that you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. He has things for you. He has plans and purposes for your life. And as you follow him, he invites you to step into the plans and purposes that God has for you. And so what were they being called to? They're being called to relationship with him, being transformed by him and purposes for him. Wow. So how do we respond? How do we respond at the crossroads? Well, how did these disciples respond? Well, they responded by doing two things. Did you guys catch what they did? They dropped their nets and followed Jesus. That's what the first pair of brothers did. The second pair of brothers, you know what they did? They left their dad in the boat. I always find 
with the hired men, which meant that it was a, probably a pretty successful fishing business. They had employees, you know what I'm saying? They owned their own boat, they had employees, and probably the dad was hoping that these two brothers would take over the family business. So why are we told those details that they drop their nets and they leave their dad in the boat? Well, if you were a fisherman at the Sea of Galilee in this day, to be a fisherman would have been your identity from top to bottom pretty much. Like it would have been all encompassing in your life. And then whatever was left of your identity would have been drawn from your family. And so what, what Mark is doing is he's showing us what it looks like to properly respond to Jesus. And that is this, to take what has been previously at the center of your life and remove it from the center and rearrange your life around Jesus. What used to be your identity is no longer your identity. Jesus is now the source of your identity. He's the one who's now the center of your life. What used to be your source of hope is no longer your source of hope. What used to be the thing that you lived for is not the thing that you live for anymore. And so they dropped their nets, what they had previously trusted in, to trust in Jesus. And there's like this, this change of the gravity of the, the center of gravity of their life, right? That changes from these other things that were good, they just couldn't be ultimate. And Jesus becomes the center of their lives. I remember <laughs> years ago, my son, who's now a, uh, a freshman at, at JMU, I was reading the Bible with him when he was just a little guy. And we were reading this story. And I was like, that's quite an invitation, isn't it, Ian? And, he's, and this was his response. He said, yeah, they got to be in the Bible. <laughs> but you know, it's actually a pretty good conclusion to that story, Right? I mean, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity at the crossroads. The decision they make at the crossroads gives them an opportunity to either enter into redemptive history or not enter into redemptive history. And because they did, because they entered into redemptive history, we're talking about the decision that they made a couple millennia later. Because Jesus saw stuff in them that they didn't even see in themselves. And he invited them into relationship into transformation, into purpose that they could have never imagined. I'm gonna close. Um, anybody wondering why there's a kayak on the stage? Like, what's a kayak there for? It's just the way I roll. <laughs> not true. <laughs> it's a way I row, not roll. Yeah, anyways, okay. Uh, ah, tough crowd. No. Anyways. There are uh, three types of people here tonight. There are people who are in the boat. Let's see if I can do this. Okay. Yeah, rocky waters in the boat. Um, They're in the boat, they're holding their nets and they're clenching their nets and they're like, yeah, Jesus said some nice things and did some nice things, but I kind of like holding on to my nets. I kind of like the center that I have. 
and, and they're holding on to these nets, trusting that, th- that, that those nets are going to save their life and satisfy their soul. Like they're trusting in, in whatever it is they're holding, clinging to, that this will be what satisfies my soul and saves my soul. It's, they're, they're wanting it to be their savior, their ultimate. And Jesus comes up to them and he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If, he's just like, just lay down what you're trusting in to, to save your soul and satisfy your soul. It will fail you and come follow me. And there's another group of people that you have followed Jesus but if you're really honest, you're kind of crawling back to the boat. I mean, people around you don't know it. Your housemates don't know it. Your, 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 your dorm mate doesn't know it. But, but you're kind of crawling back to the boat because here, here's the reason why. Because other things have captured your affection and your attention and are starting to become central in your life. And you know it's happening and you feel yourself going back to those nets. And, and here's, here's the, the truth. Like you, you kind of miss walking close to Jesus, but these other things are grabbing you and pulling you. And you find yourself bending over to re-pick up those nets and place your trust there again and to trust those things to satisfy your soul and to, and to be your savior And here's the good news. Here's the good news. That as you read the gospel of Mark, what do we find? That Jesus was patient and Jesus was persistent and Jesus was faithful. And so so what does Jesus do for the people who who find themselves crawling back to the boat? Let me tell you what Jesus does. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers. He, He reiterates the invitation to come into deep relationship with him. He reiterates the invitation. I want to transform your life. He reiterates the invitation. I have purposes for you and just let go of those nets. They're fool's gold. They will not satisfy what they promised. Just please put them down. Make me the sinner and I will be your savior and I'll be the one who satisfies you and I will be your ultimate and you can trust me. Then the third group of people are people who have heard the invitation of Jesus, gotten out of the boat, and are following Jesus. And you know what you see in the next seven verses? In the next seven verses, twice the response is that people were amazed They entered into this journey of following Jesus, entered into this journey of transformation, entered into this journey of purpose, and they were amazed by what they saw Jesus do. Now, was it easy? Oh, read the gospel. It was not easy. There was glory and there was a cross and it was, there were ups and downs, but there was amazement. They discovered 
that Jesus was worth laying the things down that had been their center and becoming their center. So I just have a very simple question as we close tonight. Which one are you? Are you in the boat clinging to something that, you, that, that you're trusting will save you and satisfy you? Are you the one who got out of the boat, but you can feel yourself being drawn back to the boat? And Jesus is saying, come follow me. Don't make your, your year about that. Don't make your life about that. You come follow me. I have plans and purposes for you. Or are you following Jesus on the journey of amazement? I want to ask the worship team to come forward. And will you stand with me? Tonight, I am so glad you're here. But you know what? Way more importantly, Jesus is glad you're here. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. And he's got plans and purposes for your life. And he says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers. I'll take the broken pieces, and I'll cause my glory to shine through it. Here's the question that I have. If you will, just go ahead and close your eyes. For a moment. I don't do this every week. If you're new to Kai Alpha, this is not every week, but I feel compelled tonight to do this. Tonight, as Jesus calls you, Are you ready to get out of the boat? Are you ready to drop what has been central in your life that you've been trusting to save you and to satisfy you? And are you ready to put it down and get out of the boat and start following the king who is the one who brings gospel, history-making, life-shaping news, who brings the reign of God into your life? says I'll transform you and I have plans and purposes for you if you're ready to get out of the boat tonight I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing and everybody's eyes are closed other than mine and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say yes I'm, I'm ready to get out of the boat tonight yes yeah yes yeah some nets are dropping some nets are dropping yeah I see the hand yeah some nets are dropping more nets yeah more nets are dropping more nets are dropping. Yes, more nets are dropping. Lord, I pray that tonight you would do a deep work. That the things that have become central in our life that have false promises that will fail us. I pray that you would help us to put them in the proper place. And Jesus, King Jesus, I pray that you would be at the very center of our lives, of our trust, of our hopes, of our identity, of our dreams.
And for the people who raise their hand, I pray, oh God, that they would experience something in relationship with you, that they, a love that could, they could find no other place, a grace that they could find no other place, that you would take the broken pieces and cause your glory to shine as you put them back together into who you always intend them to be and that all your plans and purposes for them would prevail. And Lord, for those that are feeling the suction back to the boat, I pray they would respond afresh and glorify you and step into all you have for them. Lord, I pray that this year each person in this room that hears my voice would know that you see them that you invite them to know you deeply that their lives would look more and more like Jesus and that fulfill every plan and purpose that you have for them in Jesus name the benediction may God bless you and keep you May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.